0: To us.
1: Fires, touchdown Miami! Waddle, snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play They get it.
0: What is up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, our draft preview series continues here with Ollie Connolly of Gridiron NFL. We're going to talk to him about this year's linebacker class. Plus, you don't want to miss this: our third and final sit down with the Dolphins scouting staff. Matt Winston joins us today on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Plenty to come your way here from the Baptist Hill Studios inside the Baptist Hill Training Complex. This is. The Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Let's go ahead and kick off this edition of the Drive Time Podcast with my first guest, Assistant Director of College Scouting, Matt Winston. What's up, Dolphins? I'm Travis Wingfield, and I'm joined today by Matt Winston. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. We're, so we're talking about the draft process, the combine, the whole, the whole rigmarole here. And I want to go ahead and just start with what's your title and role with the Miami Dolphins?
1: I'm the assistant director of college scouting.
0: Assistant director of college scouting. So what is your specific focus? And I guess college, but is there a certain region that you really focus on?
1: Yeah, I live in, I live in Dallas, Texas, and I handle most of the SEC West. So Alabama, kind of all the way out to the West Coast. The SEC, it just
0: matters more down there, right? Yeah, that's, how, that's, that's how it goes. That's, that's
1: what they tell me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> how would you describe your job to someone that has no idea what the heck you do?
1: Um, it's part part evaluator, part investigative uh, um, reporter a little bit in terms of just, you know, because we have to dive into the background and to the personalities of kind of what makes these guys tick. And then there's also the evaluation piece of and figure out who can actually play at the NFL level.
0: And so we're going to talk about a few players with you today. And let's go back to 2016, I think is our furthest guy back on our list here, and Xavier Howard Mm -hmm. and kind of the process of getting to know him at Baylor. What Mm -hmm. was the first thing that really stood out to you about Xavier Howard in college?
1: First thing that stood out and it still stands out about Xavier is just his ball skills, Um, just his ability to find the ball. It's it's very rare for a player at, at his position. Uh, to be able to track and finish like he does.
0: You so. mentioned the uh, investigative side of things and kind of mm-hmm. getting to know these guys in their background. What kind of mm-hmm. stood out about X in terms of the, the behind the scenes and the makeup and the character of, of what kind of guy he was? Just
1: getting to know X was just how, how much he cared about the game, how much work he really put into studying and preparing at the college level because you know if they're already doing that at the college level, it's probably going to translate to our level. I remember we brought him down on a 30 visit to our facility and we had some players uh, in the spring working out during OTAs. Uh, and he immediately recognized a few of them. I mean, they have uniforms on or anything, but he recognized them from from Big 12 play. Knew who they were, and these weren't like frontline players either. They were they were more practice squad guys, and he knew exactly who they were. And I knew he would be a, a, a professional just, just from one of those little tidbits, you know, to go along with the rest of his character profile. Um, you know, and this just made him a good pro.
0: Was there one thing that stood out about him that you said this guy is a Miami Dolphin? We have to go get him.
1: Uh, Well, I mean, I just think at that position, you're always looking for playmakers. And his ability to find the ball and play the ball and finish on the ball um, was, was just rare.
0: You talk about playmakers. He was 2016. Last year we got another one of those guys in Javon Holland. He made a bunch of plays this year for the Dolphins. What's that about Javon Holland for yeah, you guys? Yeah.
1: The first exposure I remember having with Javon was it was actually during a sophomore season. Um, really wasn't even there to scout him in particular. But Javon kept making plays on defense, on special teams. Um, the kind of guy that had you checking your, your roster just to make sure he wasn't draft eligible. But it was, a, it was a great first impression and it was something that kind of stuck with me um, through, through the rest of the process.
0: What did you kind of notice about him and your kind of background research on him going into the draft? After an opt-out year he didn't play in 2020 right his ability
1: to show up to pro day you know he had gained muscle we, we i think he had gained some speed too um you know tested off the charts checked every box at his pro day just showed us that he was able to prepare on his own as a pro um and i think you kind of just saw that transfer over to the field and he kind of hit the ground running as a rookie and it was super productive
0: you know he was a guy that his his father was a, a cfl star mm-hmm. and he, he understood mm-hmm. the workout that was required for a player to make it to this level. Did you guys kind of recognize in him pretty early on, like this guy is wired the right way? Javon was
1: easy because, you know, he's a pleasure to work with whenever you get guys that, from the first source you talk to, is just gushing about him. Those are the kind of guys that, that are a pleasure to work with and make the process a lot easier. You sleep better at night yeah, as a scout, I'm you sure. know, when you're dealing with guys like that.
0: I know it's only one year so far, but is there something that you can look at, you know, before his rookie season that he really worked on and grew and got a lot better at that that one year?
1: There wasn't really anything different that stood out to us. He's always been in he's always been super productive. he's at four or five. He had four or five picks each season, the two years at Oregon. Um, so for him to come in and, and hit the ground running like it did, it wasn't that surprising. Like I said, he's a, he's a guy that makes it easy to sleep at night as a scout because you kind of know what you're getting.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I think probably some of the same things to be said about his, his running mate there and Brandon Jones, who was drafted mm-hmm. a year earlier yep. in the third round out of Texas. Yep. You know, there was a bunch of stories about some of the ways that he prepared for the, for the draft that year because he right. couldn't work out at the combine. Can you tell us about that at all in terms of asking for everyone's playbook and getting himself mentally right when he couldn't be on the field physically?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's kind of something we found out a little bit after mm-hmm. the fact that he was kind of doing on his. Zone. but that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me either because he was always well well thought of at texas again just like devon you know you know you're drafting a professional already they're not going to have to come to the nfl and turn into professional they're already professionals before they leave
0: college did you get a pretty good sense of his versatility Because we see him play mm-hmm. down in the box in the post like you mentioned yeah. the slot he plays all over the place did you kind of see that right away at texas
1: yeah texas he was able to play some of the star nickel position there um you know they kind of moved him around a little bit so we knew he'd have some versatility and then just the, the speed he has um, you know, he can play in a lot of different places, so none of that was a surprise.
0: Yeah. Um, as, as far as the way he's kind of progressed as a Miami Dolphin, what's impressed you the most about Brandon Jones in, as, as a professional?
1: Yeah, just, uh, just his competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, think, I think he's very reliable in terms of what you're getting day in, day out when he's out there. Um, you, know, you know you're know, you going to get some sort of explosive play and you know he's got a little niche now rushing the passer in terms of some of those exotic packages that they put together on defense um, and, and just really being a force in and around the line of scrimmage I think is really kind of where he stood out to me. Now
0: we're going to go to the undrafted guy Nick mm-hmm. Needham and yeah. you know he's, he's made a nice uh, career for himself here kind of growing from a guy that was on practice squad to grow all the way up to to a big time contributor last right. year. Right. What was the process of kind of uncovering a guy like that in the undrafted realm to find out if he was a fit for the Miami Dolphins?
1: We had targeted him as, as one of our Top potential undrafted guys, and you know when it came to that came to that time, and you know he was still there and had not been drafted. You know we thought you know he'd be a the perfect type of kid to to go after, and maybe he makes a practice squad and then develops from there. And you know that's kind of what's happened for him, and now he's playing a, an integral role on the defense. What's a
0: physical trait that really stood out to him down there at uh, yeah. was it Texas El Paso? Yeah, you, what, what yeah, stood out to too. him down yeah. there
1: physically? Uh, so. Really, just the uh, the first thing that kind of stood out was just he's a very controlled player. You know he he was never stressed. Um, he didn't maybe have the high end, uh, high weight speed that some of these other corners had or possessed, but he was always instinctive, always in the right place. And I think that's kind of translated over to, uh, to the game on Sunday as well.
0: So, you talk about a guy undrafted. Obviously, there's some growth that has to happen for every player, but undrafted, I think, probably has a little more of that. What's an area you've seen him really grow and, and improve in throughout his pro career?
1: Yeah, I think it's physicality. You know, I mean, it's always a transition for these guys um, coming from the college game, even at corner um, and playing inside there. You know, there's a lot more. Um, the physicality of them playing out on the perimeter um, where maybe X does because you're having to deal with the run fits a little bit more. And I think Nick's, Nick's really grown in that area. Um, and obviously, the coaching staff does a great job emphasizing all those things. And, and Nick's really taken to that, and, and, and he's really grown.
0: You know, some of these guys, a little more quiet, soft-spoken. Yeah. Not the case with Christian, yeah. so <laughs> I guess maybe this is a little more obvious for some folks, but in your process, mm-hmm. what about him and his character really stood out to you guys when the whole process began, when you said that's the guy that we would kind of want to go towards at the first, first round of 2019? Yeah, yeah,
1: obviously a very talented athlete. I mean, from, from everything you see on Sunday with him playing offense and defense and everything, and, yeah, that, that that makes it easy in terms of just jumping out to you. He played on a very athletic Clemson defense there that had a number of pro prospects, and, and he kind of stood out from that process. Um, our uh, our area scout Chase Chase Leshen did a great job with him just in terms of. Um, doing the background and, and all the other uh, recon work on him, another high character kid. I mean, that's that's the kind of. I mean, you see a trend here in terms of just high character guys that end up turning into good players, and that's no different with Christian.
0: Because that was a deep uh, defensive tackle mm-hmm. class. What were some of the deciding factors to go mm-hmm. towards Christian?
1: Really, just the the athletic ability first of all, the ability to develop as a pass rusher, his versatility. You know, because he's so athletic, you can line him up in a number of different spots along the defensive line. Those were those were the main contributing factors for him.
0: All right, Matt Winston, Miami. Dolphins, appreciate your time today, Matt. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And there he goes. So that was 12 players we covered there with Marvin Allen, with Adam Ingroff, and Matt Winston. Tons of fun here, a little different perspective uh, for you guys here, talking to these actual people involved with the scouting process, with the pro days, the combine, going and making the visits during the college, the fall season in college football. Tons of good stuff there, tons of tons of insight and information about how this kind of process works. And obviously, it's been working out pretty well for the Miami Dolphins the last few years. One of the top drafting teams in the National Football League. In fact, ESPN just published an article taking a look at the last 10 draft classes, which dates back to 2012, and the Dolphins ranked 13th in that story based upon the value of player drafted, based upon you know wins above replacement, all these different advanced metrics that gauge the impact of that player per their draft spot, and Miami came in at pick, or number 13 on that list. And I was thinking about that. It's gotten even better, exponentially better since 2016 till now. And you have to think they're top seven, eight in that list in that time. So good stuff there. Matt Winston, Dolphins Director, Assistant Director of College Scouting. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come right back here and get to Ollie Connolly talking draft, talking linebackers in this year's draft. And we'll also talk a little bit about the offensive system and quarterback play and Mike McDaniel. Plenty to come here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast brought to you. By Auto Nation. All right, back here on this edition of the Drive Time podcast, let's get to my second guest here on this edition of Drive Time, Ollie Connolly. And joining me now is the author behind the Read Optional Substack newsletter. He's the managing editor at Gridiron NFL, Ollie Connolly. Ollie, thank you so much for your time today, my friend. Thanks for having me. Always happy to have you on. We've had uh, Simon Clancy before, I believe, on the on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. He hasn't done Drive Time. Also, I've had Henry Hodgson of NFL Media. So I believe you are our third, our third guest from overseas.
2: Yes, and the one with the most mangled American-sounding accent, I believe, which confuses people all the time. What causes that? Uh, I lived in Boston for three years, which has obviously a very distinct accent. And to try and fit in, you start to maybe manipulate your own voice a little bit, and then when you return home, you know, you sound like Sully at the bar, and yet you're in Salford in England. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Hello. I saw the Red Sox hat. I didn't ask you beforehand, <laughs> but there you go. That's, that's, that's perfect enough for us. We actually had Chris Greer speaking at his media availability the other day, and uh, he, he talked about being a Boston Red Sox fan. Who knew? So so good company there. But we're talking off-ball linebackers with you today, and you know I've, I've been doing these draft previews. I think you're my last one, actually, and you got the linebackers, which we'll see if it's a, a need for the Dolphins or not, but I want to first start here. With the incumbents and start with Jerome Baker, who, you know, is a third round draft pick back in 2018, extended his contract last year, plays a ton of snaps every year, and he just does so much for this defense, Ollie. I was hoping with your expertise, you could help explain to our fan base just how valuable Jerome Baker is in the middle of this Dolphins defense.
2: Yeah, the big thing that's happening in the league right now is and we'll get into this, I think, as we get to the draft class, is how different every defensive structure in the league is now, what they're asking from linebackers. So the linebacker spot is no no longer a place where you take Fred Warner from one team, though we know he's great, stick him in another team, and they're just great players no matter where they are, like a wide receiver would be. You need very specific things these days from your linebackers because of how everyone's trying to adjust their fronts to figure out this new spread age of the NFL, and everyone's going to 11 personnel and all this stuff. What Baker gives them is, right, Not the greatest taking on blocks, not the greatest coming downhill with his first instinct, but standing up in the line of scrimmage, the amount of mud looks they do, the amount of different overload difference, all the zone pressures, all the creepers, all the nerdy tactical football talk. He is the guy who makes things sing, right? You have to be good enough as a blitzer to have the offensive line say, okay, we're a little bit worried. If he comes, we might be in trouble. He's really fast. So what the Dolphins do on defense is dictate protections all the time. And to do that, you have to have someone who's good enough as a blitzer to dictate the protection. And that's when you can bail out and be good enough and spring enough in coverage to cover the spacing, and cover the ground you need and then break up the passing lanes. And I think that, you know, I, I know there's some mild criticism of him, but I think in terms of all around versatility and ticking the what are the three essential boxes you need in the modern NFL that he has all of that.
0: He definitely does. I mean, you you go back and look at our highlight reels from the last couple of years. One of the most you know sack heavy defenses, one of the most takeaway centric defenses. You look up and double nickels five five is going to be involved in a lot of those plays, whether it's pressuring, covering, supporting the run game, whatever the case may be. And I'm glad you touched on the specific roles that certain players have. And you know, it's it, the, the NFL. I would say a couple of decades ago transitioned to this more you know sub package matchup type of league opposed to just you know, I've done I've done a flashback podcasts where I talk to guys from the '70s teams and the '80s teams and the '90s teams, and it's like if you're first string DN, you're playing every snap, and second string doesn't play unless you get hurt. Well, it's changed now, right? And so you take a look at the linebacker position here, and I look at three guys the Dolphins brought back this off season as guys that really kind of fit that mold. You have Alandon Roberts who's, you know, a fantastic run defender, Duke Riley who's great on special teams and can be a sub package guy, and then Sam McGuavin, who does so much in the pat- in the rushing game but also on special teams as well. As the Dolphins kind of get the band back together here, not just in the linebacker position but on defense in general, how do you think that benefits this defense going into this new season?
2: Absolutely, I think what you've seen across the league, right, is can we get a mishmash of body type? So we got the prototype we want. If we find two of those guys, you know, Duke Riley, similar size, similar build, that that's pretty good. And then at some point, given the way that they structure their defense, the way to go after them is to pull and move guards, is to try and move the launch point in the run game. And so if you're going to become a defense who says, well, we're going to have to get someone downhill really fast. Someone's going to have to go and unload that thing. And we love playing in space for a space defense, for a movable defense, for malleable. Look at all the fun blitzes we do. At some point, someone's going to run down your throat and someone's going to have to go and clean that out. And so I think Roberts is, is the one there where, yes. But in terms of the most basic mechanics on first down and you win third down by winning first down, it's a magical formula. (laughs) <laughs> that's when you get to do all the man coverage and the fun stuff, right? So to win first down, which is his sole job, can you go and unload a guard for us on first down? And, and that's what he does.
0: He does plenty of that. He's also a big-time leader on this defense and the way he communicates. He's, he's a fun guy to have around the building. Let's go ahead and take our last break here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast before we get into this linebacker class for this week's draft coming up this week on Thursday. Ollie Connolly, Drive Time Podcast, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. All right, back here on this linebacker preview edition of the Drive Time Podcast, our last of the positional previews here for this year's 2022 NFL Draft. And, Ollie, I've been asking this question to each one of my uh, draft consiglieries as it were, and I, I love the variety of the answers I'm getting here, but uh, I wanted to ask you here real quick because you obviously watch a lot of tape. I want to know your tape idiosyncrasies, like whether it's the food that you eat while you're watching tape, the the drink that you go to, your go-to beverage, but also once you get locked in, how you process tape and how you watch it and what it does to teach you ultimately. Break it all down for me if you can.
2: I think that the main kind of off-the-wall thing I do is the tape itself. So I will watch Coastal Carolina film on a Friday night as my prestige TV Right. I know succession exists. I quite like succession. But Friday night for me, my relaxing time is grabbing some beers and some takeaway and then doing Coastal Carolina after spending the week going through every other offense in the country because it's a bizarre, wacky offense. So the tape itself is kind of the thing that I think makes me a little bit different than some other people.
0: That's, that's why – that's, like, how it comes back to being – like, every overseas fan I've ever met, and, you know, talking about Simon, he, he talks about the Armed Forces radio back in the 80s and just, like – You know, late night on a like early Monday morning trying to catch those Sunday afternoon games, and he's just all locked in. I I think it's how you have to be when you're so far displaced from where the games actually happen. I love that you mentioned Succession, one of my favorite shows as well, and I'm I'm definitely a TV head, so that's good stuff there. But let's go ahead and get into linebacker tape here, and you you go through all this stuff. And, you know, first, my, my curiosity peaked here because I'm looking at this class, and, you know, linebacker is a position where the positional value gets bandied about a little bit here in the draft class and whether or not guys should go in certain spots. But just on the whole, looking at this class, Ollie, I I like it quite a lot. But is this one of the best and deepest linebacker classes you can recall in recent years?
2: Deepest for sure. The thing that is really changing in college football that I think is being kind of misrepresented a little bit by, by us talking heads in the media is the the linebacker position in particular is going through the same kind of change as quarterbacks did. You know, as the spread option came in, you were trying to say, well, how does that move up into the pro style offense? Because defensive structures have changed so much in college football, so much of it is three down, three safeties. We don't play with three down and three safeties in the NFL. The Dolphins will put eight guys on the line of scrimmage because they had to have a good time on third down, right? So the spacing is so different. So now you're looking for a very specific player who you can kind of project, does he do similar stuff to what we do in our specific structure? The way the run game is shifted in in the NFL, everyone's kind of doing their own unique thing. What Bill Belichick does is really different than what Flores did last year, for example, in terms of trying to shut down the run and the run fits. So you have to go find specific guys, and what I think that leads to in, in draft classes is the guys who are perhaps the biggest stars, the most famous players, will have a high bust rate because someone will pick them for the wrong structure, whereas you have so much value going down if you say, well, we love brandon smith at penn state and he might be the eighth overall linebacker if we were just doing this in terms of general sense but because of how our structure of our defense fits he's the third best for us and yet we can maybe get him like the dolphins he might be there in the fourth round
0: and for a team that makes their first pick at the end of the third round pick 102 You know, I'm curious how this potential and this has been a fun question for different position groups. I I think uh, the tight end position had a good a good example of this as well in talking about your Coastal Carolina tape. Isaiah Likely, big fan of his game. Uh, That's a tangent for another day. But I'm curious to see how this glut of you know you talk about fits, but how the glut of potential linebackers maybe the fit for a guy that the Dolphins like isn't what a team ahead of them might like. So maybe you get someone that gets that little bit of a slide down there. So you know, just looking at the Draft Network's big board here, you got two guys in the top 20 at linebacker. But then from 56 to 126, they've got 16 linebackers. It's outrageous. <laughs> an outrageous number in that position, right in that sweet spot for the Miami Dolphins. Who are some names in that range you like to keep an eye on at pick 102, but also 125 for Miami?
2: One of the, I think Damon Clark's hanging out there right? as a sleeper for everyone because he has this spinal surgery. You don't quite know what the medical situation is. There's a chance he doesn't get drafted. There's a chance he goes on day three. I think it's always what the Dolphins ask their guys to do, both, as we mentioned, that mugging and can you be a blitzer, and then can you drop into coverage. He has everything you want in the modern off-ball linebacker, which is, at this point, basically, how fast you get north to south and what's your wingspan? Because so much of the game, in terms of the run fits I was discussing now, does not carry over from college to the NFL, so that's a mental thing you will never know until they get in training camp and you look at each other and go, "Uh uh-oh, oh, yay, this is really fun. So you're kind of saying instant burst, read and reactability, and then wingspan because as with the Dolphins is a great example because they're dropping out so much. It's kind of about occupying passing lanes, like in the NBA, you know, where there's all switching and all that kind of stuff. You just want to clog up passing lanes as opposed to necessarily match a linebacker stride for stride. That whole thing of like, let's play matchup ball and, you know, shifts one on a linebacker doesn't exist as much these days. It's about dropping into zones and breaking up passing lanes. So I think Damon Clark, if I'm the Dolphins, I, I mean, one, you need the medical report, as I, as I mentioned, but that'll be the one where I'm like, we could get a guy there who, if it was a full bill of health and it was known nationally, we'll probably be the fifth, sixth linebacker on every board. And then specifically for what we do, he genuinely outside of Kay Walker might be the best single fit for our system. And we might be able to get him in the fourth fifth that the, obviously they've got those two seventh round picks
0: that's that's a great answer i know kyle Krause from locked on dolphins is a big fan of his as well and i like his opinion when it comes to the draft as well so good stuff there you mentioned you know the third and fourth round i'm going to really test your uh, the depth of your draft knowledge here ollie and, and go towards picks 225 and 248 give me the exact <laughs> picks those are going to be no I'm, I'm just kidding but in the seventh round can you tell us about some some day three prospects guys that could either go late in the draft or possibly udfas that you like at the off-ball linebacker position
2: yeah, Mike Rose is one. He plays in that really weird Iowa State system, so it's it's almost impossible to figure out how does that work at, at the NFL level. And then you've got the athletic limitations, but he just gets to the ball. And if you're going to take an off-ball linebacker, I'd rather take the one who's always around the ball than the guy who turns up to high-five everyone else who was around the ball. So that's <laughs> one. And then you've got Jack Sanborn at Wisconsin, who is maybe the most difficult evaluation because, as I meant, all those trend lines then of let to get first set quickness and wingspan, he's the complete opposite, right? He's got, like, the tiniest arms ever measured in the history of the combine or something daft like that. But he does. He's a, he's a playmaker. He's one of those classic old school read and react first down, second down, thumber. but he does make plays in space, too. So, you know, Wisconsin is not the defense. It was back, you know, in, in 2015 or something when it was really old school. They're, they're one of the most sophisticated defenses in college football now. So if that guy who is calling the signals, by the way, on the field has all that in his brain is always around the ball. There's a ton of athletic limitations, but I think taking a punt on someone like that in the seventh round, you can't really go wrong in a defense, particularly stylish the way the dolphins are set up where a lot of things are predetermined for those guys anyway, you know?
0: a couple of guys at the linebacker position that have been here from that Wisconsin defense and and Vince Beagle and Andrew Van Ginkle as well. So good company there. Let's do the converse of that now and, and, you know, kind of work upwards. You know, we've been in the weeds so far in the depth of this draft class. Let's go ahead and finish here before I get to my last question about something separate. But let's say there's one or two, there can be two or, or even three if you want, two or three linebackers that you like, and it could be one guy also, in that second round range. You you talk about Domain Clark and sliding down because of the medical a little bit. Let's say there's someone else that maybe falls into that 50, 60, 75 range, and you don't have a medical concern. You don't have concerns about anything, and you say, he's there, he shouldn't be, and I'm looking at this guy that can come in here and upgrade our defense right away. Who's a guy that from 102 you would feel comfortable trading future draft capital to go up and get that guy who you pound the table for in this linebacker class?
2: I think Chad Muma is the guy from Wyoming. You know, there's a the concern about he's never played a Power 5 team, or at least he certainly didn't last that's last year. So the step up is really far. But he has the build of an edge defender. It's a little, little bit like Kyle Van but with better springs in his legs, and you get him right off college, which would be something you want. It's that Jamie Collins body type that I think they will want in that defense, which is when we're playing with a 5-1, you know, 5-2, 5-1, 6-2 box, 6-1 box, you have to now be able to either play on the edge or be the one on your own. Right, And a lot of teams now get to it really late because motion changes the pitch. You see this with the Bengals. They'll walk someone down to the edge because the pitch has changed from the offense, kick everyone inside, and all of a sudden it's a 6-1 box. So can you either play as the one off the ball and sift through everything and figure it out, or can you play on the edge? And Muma is so big and built like an edge defender but plays purely as an off-ball linebacker, I think if you're going to move up for anyone in that specific style of defense, that'd be the guy you'd go get.
0: Every year there's a guy that stands out at the Senior Bulls, a really top performer at that linebacker position. It was Chad Muma again this year, so great company there. Before I let you out of here, Ollie, I wanted to ask you this question because I feel like I, I have to. It's my journalistic duty to get this uh, your opinion here because you wrote a great piece uh, on it on the Read Optional Substack, your, your newsletter, and I want to just ask you real quick about how you see this Mike McDaniel offense kind of taking hold here in Miami with Tua Tungavailo at the trigger and, you know, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds, Cedric Wilson Jr., Mike Gasicki, you know the players. But how do you think his offense will take hold with all this personnel we have right now here in Miami?
2: Fascinating. I think it's the most fascinating thing in the entire league. You know, I wrote that piece as I'm not a hot take style of writer for those who've never read All This To Me before. (laughs) I kind of just think of interesting things and throw them out there. I do not know how you square the whole of. He has probably the best athletes in space personnel in the league, and his offense isn't predicated necessarily around playing with athletes in space. Right, it's the outside zone and then boot type system. Meanwhile, all of his ex cohorts, both Shanahan, McVeigh, all these guys, no longer really run the outside zone and then boot system. They've all tried to gravitate to more spread setup as defenses adapted to that that initial surge of the McVeigh Shanahan takeoff. So, is in his mind the idea to say? Wait till you see what I've had up my sleeve for the last two years, and now I'm running the show, or does he think he can squeeze all this into that, or can he marry the two? Because to marry what was happening last season with kind of the really wild RPO stuff that no one's ever run at any level ever, by the way, to, to marry that with what he's done traditionally, it just doesn't fit from a sequencing, patterning t- type of thing. So he's probably going to have to pick one course or the other and then sprinkle some magic from you know one of the other philosophies on top, which knowing him he will do (laughs) and it's just to me the most fascinating thing of like you know how how does that come together
0: yeah i'm glad you said it because i was going to say it too there it's it's, he'll find a way to get the miami dolphins offense going under his vision and i can't wait to see what it looks like so great stuff there check out that piece on the read optional sub stack ollie Connolly, managing editor of gridiron nfl ollie thank you again so much for your time today especially with the time difference I, i really appreciate it man
2: thank you anytime
0: and there he goes. Great stuff. There are more information for you guys in the depths of these draft classes on day two and day three, where the Miami Dolphins will make their picks. This is our penultimate positional preview here on the Drive Time podcast. I think I might have said it was the last one earlier. We have Fran Delphi coming up tomorrow. You don't want to miss that. He is a, a, a wealth of football knowledge and we got more than just some draft stuff out of him and then Wednesday the great Kyle Kraus from Locked On Dolphins and the Draft Network joins us here on the Drive Time Podcast and then Thursday a mailbag edition to get all your questions and answers here about this upcoming draft for the Miami Dolphins tons of content coming your way in the meantime that is going to be my time you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts leave us a rating leave us a review you can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL you can follow the team at Miami Dolphins across all social channels check out the fish tank podcast with seth and oj cranking out bangers on tuesdays there for you guys this offseason and of course the youtube channel for media availabilities as well as dolphins today and the sit-down interviews with all the uh, free agent players we signed this offseason and of course miamidolphins.com until next time fins up caroline daddy's coming home